This is Coda Radio, episode 174 for October 12th, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, but that doesn't matter because joining us every single week like a warrior is Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. La, 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 la. I'm here. <laughs> that's, that's your warrior call? <laughs> I, I, you know, I was actually going for something a little more Apache, but I, I just didn't get there. Yeah. Now, uh, now I don't. I'm not very familiar with Florida's geography. This is all new to me. Still, do you have? Uh, I, I mean, am in New Jersey. Oh, jeez, oh, you were just. Hold on, I got it. To keep up with you, I got to open up a caffeine beverage here uh, because you know, I, I think we need to like have a little app on a, on a web server somewhere that's like where in the world is Mike? Just yeah, where's Mike? Tra- tracking me down, Carmen San Diego style. It, I mean. How is this for you, moving back and forth like this? How's this going? Um, it is awesome. Are you, uh, when you say awesome, is that like the awesome, like when uh, I back my, my truck up into a fire hydrant kind of awesome? Or is that awesome, like I just found this uh, energy drink in the fridge, awesome? Uh, it's awesome, like I lost a lot of weight. Is awesome, but I lost it from food poisoning. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. 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 I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, so uh, I'm glad you're here because we have a lot to talk about this week, and so I think you know there would have been a slight Coda Radio revolt. I don't know what exactly that would look like. I think it would look like a lot of really polite people and students and uh, and uh, graybeards that are uh, writing VB and Cobalt uh, getting together in some sort of support group and saying, "Yeah, I really wish they would have done a show." Well, this is our weekly. Th- in fact, you know, I, I don't think there will be another show from me in Florida. Actually, no, really. Tell me about this. I, I'm back at BTHQ full time. That's that's a development. Uh, and uh, are you uh, so? <laughs> so you and I are just moving around like crazy. Both of us. This is really interesting. I basically took like a two week vacation. Mm. Like, and I uh, decided that Florida wasn't working for you. Yeah, that would be fair. Yeah. And I mean, there are hashtag reasons that aren't super relevant, um, but we could talk about them all fair. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I follow you. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's not really something that makes sense Yeah. given tech. Yeah, yeah, there is yeah. that. Uh I mean, uh, there. You know, it's funny. Uh, I really got a sense of that when uh, I left Washington. I've I have been spoiled in the sense that I have grown up in the state that has Amazon, Microsoft, yeah. Boeing, Nintendo U.S. offices here, T-Mobile's U.S. Yeah. offices are here, and so I have never really not lived in a place that wasn't like a tech central place. But because I didn't live in Silicon Valley area, California, I thought I was removed. I kind of thought that way about, like, New York, New Jersey, and wow, was I wrong. Yeah. It, it, maybe it's a topic for another day, but, like... No, I mean, I think this is actually 
Yeah, I, actually, maybe it's good to go into. You know, I think like, it is. Like just let's just say like mobile tech. It's like infiltrated, and even just like regular tech, right? Every business, everything down or up here, rather, is is very. You know, even the ones that are all oh, they're so low tech. They're using ASP, whatever. You know, from X years ago. Mm-hmm. I saw like people doing POS systems on pen and paper. Yeah, so I saw the, all kinds of crazy crap. Like, yeah, the so uh, now I'm gonna just get my bias out of the way. I was going through Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, and South Dakota. So these are not known for tech central places, but I think. What still struck me, it, what it was just so striking, um, some of the places that we stayed at ended up not billing us by accident. Yeah. Now that we, we corrected the mistake for them, but they didn't bill us because, well, the gal was in on her regular day off and she wrote it down on the piece of paper, but the gal that was supposed to be working that day had her piece of paper with her, and since the names didn't go on that list, they didn't know we were staying at their facility using their water, power, and sewer. And uh, then we came back in just to say, okay, we're checking out. They're like, oh, we never even had you on here. No computers, nothing. No connectivity, nothing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't wasn't quite that dark agey, but um, I I did have a credit card swiped in the old carbon copy way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, although there were were pockets of technology where I saw a fair amount of iPads in Square. For people that were just like leaping up to credit cards, there there was some of that. But the main issue I saw a lot is there's a lot of there's not very much connectivity, and um, for some for some networks there's zero c- coverage at all. There's like some te- cellular carriers I'm not very familiar with. Um, so uh, it is so what I what I took away from that is there is a difference in the culture, and I don't mean to stereotype, but this is just sort of my first impressions, and I hope to get, uh, broaden this as I take further road trips, but my first impressions were because they are so far removed from it, there is sort of an inherent dis, um, low value they assign it. Uh, because they get along just fine without it, it's not really something that is all that necessary, and when it becomes something that's not all that necessary you find that people are not willing to really invest in it. So uh, an example I would see of this is, yeah, we have free Wi-Fi, and it was literally a Linksys router hanging from the ceiling at, at their shop. And what do you mean that's Wi-Fi? Yeah, if you just need to check your email or something, just walk over to the shack. It's fine. That's, there's no problem with that. There's no value in, they don't, they don't recognize the value in the fact that people need connectivity, you know, sort of everywhere. We need ubiquitous connectivity now. Not in their world. That's not something you need. And so when you come at it from that standpoint, I don't think you're willing to pay contractors as much money for services rendered or developers as much money for an application created. Is that your impression? You know, I, I didn't really, like, do any kind of business down there, per se. It was just interactions with people. Like, I, I will say, when I told people what I did, a lot of people showed me their new phones, and it was, like, two years old. Mm. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I've, obviously, I can read, you know, the, the statistics like anybody else. Like, incomes are significantly lower in certain states than others. But having said that, you know, Florida also has Miami and Orlando and Tampa, which have a ton of money. I would say, in particular, the part I was at was very rural. Um, I mean, not anything against it. Like, it was nice, you know, good food. I love grits, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, it, beautiful um, often. Where I went was very beautiful. Yeah, 
for a whole amalgamation of, of reasons, it was better to cut your losses than to, than to try anything down there. Yeah, I would just – I come back to – to me, and this is my first impressions, it was a cultural thing. It's not that – so you say, here's my new phone, right? Well, um, it's right. it's just to them that is a new phone because by well, the cultural that, right? to the cultural it. standard it's it's well it's by that cultural standard it is and I'm not saying it's a bad cultural standard they probably live better lives so more power to them yeah I mean people <laughs> seem much more relaxed I'll mm-hmm. give them that mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. I I would be careful about making any kind of statements of uh, comparison right I I wouldn't want to do that but I would say that I. I'm just a little too up north, stressed out East Coast, probably to, to ever effectively adapt down there. I was, uh, I was tempted. You know, the the thing, the time it hit me the the strongest was uh, we went into um, the Grand Tetons in Yellowstone, and I guess you know because it's you know a national preserve, they don't really uh, allow companies to build cell towers in there. So there is. No Wi-Fi, no internet, no cell towers. There's not even streetlights. And wow. uh, you go. Wait, there were no streetlights on my street. Like, and it was a dirt road. Yeah, so. this the, the, yeah. going around Yellowstone in the dark is. Uh, I got lost. It's not. It's not a. Uh, it's fun for the first twenty minutes, and then you realize you are in a very vast place. <laughs> and well, uh, what there got is me was like it's a half hour to the grocery store. I I uh, oh boy oh yeah oh yeah I am not kidding you. Uh, we had to bust out the paper maps. To find our way back. Uh, so, but, you know, my, there was a implicit uh, relaxation that came with it. Uh, it, was, uh, it was very nice. It was, people were very mellow. People seemed very relaxed. And it was very calm. And you could just sort of, just sort of feel that it was well, like a, it was, just a, it was a place meant for relaxation. Yeah, I will say one thing, right? Like I, I you know, I, as everybody listening to the show knows, I recently had some pretty severe medical problems. Um, and I do have a customer who's very unhappy or, or I've been hmm, right after the fact, like mm. things are late. I'm not going to, you know, it's a problem. I don't think that, I think that's a very Northeast attitude. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't imagine someone below the Mason Dixon saying, oh, too bad, you know, sorry, but, you know, we have commitments and blah, blah, blah. I think, I think, I think I will agree with you that in some way the mindset's a little better than it is here. Um, but I think I'm already too far gone, right? Hmm. Interesting. I uh, I think I am too in some ways. The I will to be if I'm going to be completely honest with you. The most stressful thing about my road trip was figuring out when I was going to have connectivity so I could work again. And yeah. if, essentially, what it meant was we get somewhere. And if there, if there wasn't solid connectivity, which was legitimately 80% of the places we went, it, it meant a clock started ticking in the back of my head. Well, we can only enjoy this for so long because it's going to take us, and these are massive distances, you know, I'm talking eight, nine hour drives. Um, right. You know, so that clock starts ticking in the back of your head and you don't know exactly how long it's going to take. You don't know exactly where you're going to end up that has connectivity. And so it sort of prevented right. me from really enjoying it. And what I realized is... Okay, now maybe instead of trying to force myself into an offline lifestyle, maybe I plan around building in connectivity and making sure everywhere I go has really good connectivity. Now, this particular trip, that wasn't the goal. But a future trip, you know, maybe I just – and then I don't have to stress about work as much. 
It but don't you feel like you've kind of done that to yourself? Like, you know, I mean, great examples today. Like, I went out to lunch and I just got held up. I was I was talking to people. So, you know, I'm not one of those I will sit with people and have my phone out the whole time kind of guy. In fact, I mm. put my phone on Do Not Disturb. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually one of my issues with the watch is it sort of takes but, that from me. But then I then I feel bad and, and I have gotten some – not today, but in general, some fairly, um, for lack of a better term, nasty, right, voicemails and text messages when I was only unavailable for like 90 minutes. Yeah, uh, there were there were times on the trip where, um, you know, I'm driving, right, for a lot right. of time, and I'm getting a lot of messages from production staff, and uh, and there's only certain windows of time where I'd have connectivity. And I, for the first few days, it was pretty stressful because I would look down at my phone and I would, I would have 17 unread messages. Yeah, and a lot I, of them I, are I, questions that can't, until I answer them, people don't move forward. And so then I, you know, so I felt very pressured to respond. And by the second half of the trip, I would, uh, uh, by the last half of the trip, I should say, um, I just sort of, I had to sort of let go a little bit and be like, okay, first I'm going to stop driving. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm even going to eat a little bit. And then I'm going to read the 30 unread messages on Telegram. And uh, that wasn't even getting right to my email. It was, it was really Don't something. you feel like – I mean it's a little different for you, right? Because you're only doing JB stuff. So everybody who's messaging you is probably – you know, I know community members or it's internal or it's something like that, right? Yeah, I have some family and friends on there too, but yeah. Okay. But when you were contracting like – you know, I used to not mind, but I'm starting to get to the point where text message probably isn't an appropriate. I don't feel like it's an appropriate yeah. way to communicate. The with issue customers. with text messaging and and Telegram is they're not state aware. You know, they they don't know uh, where you're at in your workflow, and so if you could globally set do not disturb, and I know phones have this, but it's it's not it's not that's not what I want. I just want to be able like in Skype, you can say you know, do not disturb. You can be online and say, do not disturb. And you can still receive messages, but it mutes your notifications and things like that. See, that's not even, that's, see, that's, that's interesting, but that's not even really what I'm getting at. I, I feel like people and have an expectation when you text someone, you're going to get a quick reply. Mm-hmm. And I just... Yeah, otherwise one, they'd be emailing I, you. I, I don't like texting as a medium for any conversation that could be contentious. Yes, I absolutely agree. You know, I've I, learned that I, the hard way. I am from New Jersey, and I'm Italian. I could possibly say, right, like I could misread, misunderstand, freak course, out. Sure, sure. And in the past, many of my customers have been of the same disposition, and, right. and it leads to unnecessary conflict. Um, but also, also, if you have something even just a little bit like if it's like feedback or criticism or anything like that, it's so much better received over the phone. People respond so much differently when they're, when they're talking to you versus reading. It's right. just a huge right. difference. And, and not even like even an email, though, it's like... I feel like a lot of people have this, I'm texting you, so I, I need to get a reply in like two minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, otherwise they would use email. Yeah, that's the right. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But it's just so rude to sit out with you. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just whatever, an old man, and I think it's rude to sit in a meeting. No, I am so phone. glad you're saying this. And here's but, the other thing is uh, I, I, I irrevocably lose data when I get messages from my head. I, I, I am in the flow. I am working on, and come on, you know this. When, you, when, you're, when you're in the flow and you're working on something and a message comes in, even if 
you have like it muted, but like the little thing slides up in the corner of your screen, the little notification slides up. Makes me crazy. Yeah, I, there's it's it's too late. It's too late. I have switched tracks, and the 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 beautiful flow is gone. And then even when the message says no need to respond right now, it's it doesn't matter. It's it, and I like I, I've even become more mindful about like how I use Slack or HipChat or any of those kind of services because. You know, if the guy's not online, it's going to go to his phone. <laughs> See, I was specifically thinking maybe I should move a lot of stuff over to Slack for this and get it out of Telegram. Well, I think I think the problem, I mean, with any of those services is you have to, you know, I don't think, and maybe I'm whatever on this, most things you're going to tell someone, whether it's internal, external, don't need a reply right now. Mm. Right. I mean, realistically. They don't really need a K or got it or especially the services that have red status, you know, then like they don't really you don't need to respond with K. I got it. We got it. Well, also, there, there is a value in in email in that it's if you treat it like I do where email is supposed to be a letter. Every every time I don't do that, I have problems. Right. When, when I if I treat it like a letter, you know, you, you won't sit down and write a rash letter usually. Right, you'll you'll take time, and and there's no expectation that you're going to get an email right back. Um, and I just wonder, like, how much friction in life in general, like for contracting, even even employees, or even for like you managing your own employees, could be avoided if you know, unless something's on fire, put it in an email, and let's make sure. Kind of quality over quantity, right? Yeah, that's what you see. For me, email is not response. so good, and so that's why I was thinking maybe Slack or something like Slack. Uh, I don't know. This is a. This is a. It was a. This was probably the most stressful aspect of my trip was connectivity and then communications. And well, Slack is inherently internal, though, right? I mean, like you, an advertiser is not going to Slack you. No, that's fine. See, I don't see. That's what I was right. thinking. Is Telegram can be used for regular messaging, but it, but like the stuff that is like questions and and planning and content stuff. Seems like those could be ongoing threads in some sort of system, uh, you know. And you could you could see how you could start a a thread for this Sunday or this this Friday's Linux Action Show, and then just have you know no and I working out of it all week long. I don't know. It's yeah. it's an idea I've been playing with, but because the main the main issue I have is I want to be able to keep people moving forward, and I want them to be able to ask me questions that they need answered, but at the same time. Because the work I'm doing is pretty important to the operation of the business, I need to not be constantly interrupted. Uh, and there are some days where I don't go 15 minutes without another message coming in. So if you think about, like, I'm, that's just that just breaks up my workflow too much. I was, you know, I can't even do Pomodoro, let alone let alone that. So well, that's the thing. Like, I, I was doing Pomodoro for a while, and it broke down because iMessage or or whatever didn't stop. Yeah, right? yeah. So and, Rikai was you know, recommended Trello to me too. So I'm going to check that out as well. Trello's not bad. Uh, I'm looking at, like, I've been working a lot with Jira, so that... Slack seems to have the most uh, adoption. Well, it's a different... Trello and Slack aren't really... Oh, really? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. But, gotcha. Right, I'll have to you know, I remember more. doing, I remember doing, right, 90-day project plans for a feature, <laughs> like, way when I was a, when I was a young lad doing Java applets, and uh, now it seems like, you know day turnaround, two days, three, like, are we, is, is there just an expectation of, like, more, I don't know, I, I feel like sometimes more communication is bad communication. Yeah, and I think the core issue you have here is the 
the expectations that people are building around availability because instant messaging is what it is. It's instant messaging. It's it's like the same. It's, it's ICQ. It's AOL Instant Messenger. Only now everybody has it and they have it in their pocket. And a lot of us well, even I have it on their you, desktop too. So it's like since everybody has it, we've now set a new common set of expectations. And you know what? I think I play that role too. Like sometimes I message certain people and I do expect a pretty fast response. That's why I'm messaging them. No, I'm just as bad. I mean it works both ways. But I sometimes feel like – you know, if I get a hip chat on my phone or if I get a Slack or an iMessage, I assume it's urgent. And I don't think that's good, right? Like if you wanted to say, hey, just checking in. It's very stressful. Like right. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe it's, you know, you know, part of it is I, I, I definitely can see the other side of, well, no one's saying this is urgent. You're saying this is urgent. But then when you don't respond for an hour, you get like the three follow-up messages. <laughs> Yeah, are you okay? What's going on? Are you um, there? Are you there? Are you there? Like, you know what? You know what? Noah and I have done, which is kind of an interesting solution. If you have two people who agree this is an issue, as Noah and I do, and you, is right. we have our regular Telegram, you know, thread, which is how we like if we need a response from each other fairly quickly. That's what we use to message. Then we set up. Well, he he was his idea, a separate thread called Noah Rants where we've both mutually turned off notifications on that thread. And that's for more right. like, hey, I'm thinking about this, or when you get a chance, can you grab this, or can you tell me about this when you have a minute? And those don't generate any notifications on any of our devices. So it's like a gen chat, basically. It's like no notifications, but this is just for you no. know non-pressing. It's not nonsense. flawless, though, because you still get the unread badge on the phone. You still get the unread count yeah. on, the, on the application, and, the, on the, and that's still enough to... And, you know, you still get the message preview that pops up. That's enough that it's still distracting, but it's much – there's nothing – nothing vibrates, nothing dings. That's much better. Like I'll give you an example. I was going to uh, to hire actually a listener of the show as a subcontractor um, because, you know, I, I took on a big job. I had medical issues and then I – you know, so I just wanted like some old customer things cleaned up. And I was at a wedding and I turned my phone on silent. I f- forgot to send the guy the form, and he is now upset because he feels like I blew him off. Mm. Now, I feel bad about that, but would it have been appropriate for me to leave notifications on my mobile phone at my friend's wedding? Right? You, you see how that, you know, and it was one of those things, can you help me out on a weekend, and, and the weekend's passed, and it's over. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. like, I, I definitely feel like a jerk because I'm sure he made plans around it because I didn't get him the materials he needed and the paperwork. He couldn't do do what I asked him to. Um, so he's obviously unhappy. But, that was, but, what's you know, really frustrating about that is yeah. there's there is when you are the key point you're the key point of information there and they can't proceed without you, but you need to be able to step away to do this thing and they couldn't proceed without you. Like it's it is this right. it is this really frustrating thing because you only can really blame yourself and it's like, well, I can't fire myself. I can't yell at myself. And yet I also can't do everything. So really oh, – You can yell at yourself in the mirror. I do it all the time. <laughs> I guess what, the, the, what I come down to is like, do I really just have to accept that every day there's a few things that are going to drop through the cracks? And you know what? Sometimes they're not trivial things either. But there's just so well, many I things. Feel, I, feel, I felt really bad about this because I got you know, a fairly annoyed, irate email from him. And like I got his point. Um, and then, of course, I forgot to reply to the email. But I was flying out for a wedding out of state 
you know, it's like one of these things where is the expectation that we're on call 24-7 now? Is that really what it's come to in, in the tech industry that, you know, because this was a Saturday. <sighs> Everything is so critical. You know, it's funny. That culture we were just talking about towards the beginning of the show. Right. It is a little more mellow about this kind of stuff. This is the exact well, kind of thing they're avoiding. And that's the difference. I mean, down there, your friend's wedding is obviously more important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, you, yeah. Of course. Who gives a crap? So what? They're unhappy. Let them be unhappy. Like, you know, because they understand that a company can wait a day or two and it's not actually going to be the end of the business. But when we're all spun up on how important all this stuff is, it does seem like the end oh, of the there's world. There's relationships, right? And, there, you know, things can get messy. Uh, I just, I wonder if we're not, and not like us personally, but just like in general as an industry, are we not setting ourselves up for more pain and more failure? By having these expectations that, you know, not not to harp on it, but really for a stupid Java applet, used to write 90-day plans. And a 90-day project had a, had a, quote, 30 to 60-day overflow period, mm-hmm. right? Minimum. And if anything changed, development stopped, and we went, remember, remember big design up front? I mean, am I the only one who remembers <laughs> this? Where, where if anybody even mentioned a change, everything stopped. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as, well, we'll talk about it later. It was just done. And no one cared if it was late because it was late, and it, but it had to be done right. And I don't know if this is just me hating agile people again. Or, you know, I feel like in our communications and the way we do things, we're, we're overemphasizing, kind of over-communicating and massaging that and under-emphasizing doing what we're supposed to be doing. Like, I'll give you a great, and in fact, I, I use this on somebody. Okay. Every time you ask, every, I use this last year, every meeting you ask me to go to means I'm not working on your project. And I, just to be clear, if the meeting's two hours, I don't care. I don't work for the day because I have to travel for the meeting. Yeah, yeah. Right. So every but, meeting is a day. You know, it's funny because I've had a lot of headbutting about this. So uh, basically for me, if I have two shows, that's an entire day. There, that, that takes up my entire day. And you know what? To be honest with you, I could spend 80% of my day on one show because there's the, there's the stuff that you do before the show. There's the actual show. And there's quite a bit of stuff that happens after the show to make it go up on the web. And there is a lot to do there. And you fit in like maybe another phone call or doing a batch of emails. And that takes up my whole day. So when I'm doing like two shows, that is 100% a full day. And there's no room for meetings in there or anything like that. It is really, really tight because... You have to account for the, for the spin-up time, the travel time, you know, sitting down, getting set up, get working. There's, there's a lot traffic, of extra – yes, there's right? a lot of there's extra stuff there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's – you know, if you're meeting with multiple parties, is there a meeting and then a second meeting with the – I mean it, it, it can be yeah. crazy. And I mean I don't really have a point. And if you ha- – well, well, it's just that I guess my, my point is if you out there have been in this argument before where you've said – you know, if I have a meeting, this pretty much fills up my whole day. Or if I have to do this and this, and people say, no, no, you have this. You can, you can fit a couple little extra time in here. You can fit this meeting in there. That sense you have is, is, is right. Go with your gut feeling on that because that is how much room you need to do your best at that thing that you're committing to that day. And if you need time around that thing 
to get in that air, to get your head in the right space or whatever it is, then that is totally legitimate. That's how you work. And you probably do a really good job at your job when you're in that space. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's also one thing to have a call with like one or two people, but like a mm-hmm. meeting with a ton of people can be draining. Especially right? if like there, you've never been that. there before and you have to find the place. And or if you're me and you get lost every time you go mm-hmm. somewhere new mm-hmm. and it takes mm-hmm. three hours to get there. And then you then you have to then you have to free, either figure out where you're going to park or whatever. I mean, it's just super frustrating. So uh, right. let's let's take a break. Let's take a moment, and then uh, we got some hoopla to get into this week. A couple of things, but first, uh, I want to tell you about some of the exciting news from our friends over at Linux Academy. Now, Linux Academy has a great discount for our audience at linuxacademy.com/coders. You can go there to sign up and get the Coder Radio discount and support this show. And Linux Academy is a great platform for learning. They have self-paced courses with instructor help, over 1,800 courses, scenario-based labs. You get to choose the distro you want your stuff to be based around, seven plus of them, and then the labs automatically uh, match that, and so does the courseware. The whole stack, the whole stack is available over there. Everything from Linux itself to the technology built around Linux and AWS, as well as Android and uh, PHP, Ruby, and they have some really great stuff coming up. Now, they have a big show on October 15th where they're going to announce some major stuff. But sort of leading up to that, they just rolled out version 2 of their practice exams. Now, if you are a little bit like me and you kind of get up in your head when it comes time to take a test, this is a really cool system. So, of course, they still have their regular mode, which loads a preset of number of questions and a preset amount of time for you to take the exam. Like, for example... Say you're going to take the uh, AWS CSA Associates in regular mode, in a regular exam mode. It'll load 60 questions and give you 80 minutes to complete the exam, just like the real exam, just so that way you get used to the real exam. But now they've also introduced practice mode 2.0, where you get to select your time limit and the number of questions up to the maximum amount in the potential pool, and then take the practice exam. This helps you prepare in a different way, And it puts flexibility in the practice exam system based on your current needs. So here's a summary of the new features available with the practice exam. It'll display the total number of questions in your exam session. All practice exams are now timed. If time runs out, it'll automatically submit the questions you currently have for grading. Practice modes allow you to define the number of questions and time limit for an exam session. Question order is randomized each time a new practice exam is started. And answers associated with a question are also randomized each time a new practice exam is started. I think this is a really cool way to get confident with the exam. And that way you're not uh, spending your time inefficiently because you can go in there and just tell it how much time you have available. That's really nice. And they have courseware that automatically generates based on how much time you have available as well. And when you log in, it gives you an estimation of how long each course is going to take. Like, for example, when I logged in and looked at, I think it was Python and Ruby, like one was five hours and one was six hours. I thought, well, that is amazing. That is a great way to think about adding a new skill set, something that will look good on a resume or look sound good in a review or help you get that job or really just challenge you. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Lots of great features coming out over there. Some great video tutorials, downloadable comprehensive study guide, an entire system built by passionate folks who want to spread the good word. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So, Mr. Dominic, any quick thoughts on uh, log me in buying out uh, LastPass? Because that was a hit in the gut for me because I'm a huge fan of LastPass, but I'm not such a big fan of log me in, having used them for years in IT. You know, I guess what struck me as what, what struck me was the lesson, the, the lesson I'm taking away from the log me in purchase, my lifelong lesson, is we always talk about companies going away and disappearing. 
you know, I wouldn't want to use right. uh, LastPass because they might disappear, or I wouldn't want to use uh, whatever because they might go away one day, and then all my music will be gone. But more likely is that they get bought, and then a company with a, with a completely different set of priorities takes over and takes in a different direction, which is what probably is going to happen here. And this is so much likely... More likely than all the other scenarios, I don't know why we don't talk about this particular problem, is a lot of these developers are looking for somebody to buy, pay for them to get out because they're struggling to make money. And so... Oh, you can't make any money. <laughs> I mean, yeah. sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Right? Well, that's the problem, though. Yeah. That is the core problem. So a lot of them are up for grabs, more than we probably realize. I didn't think LogMeIn was up for whole, grabs. Like, met- there's a whole methodology for startups to simply position yourself to be acquired. Oh, for sure. But I don't know... Right. I don't, I don't necessarily think that was log me in or a LastPass's plan. I just think it became a too attractive of an offer to say no. By the way, I didn't catch this until some post-analysis. But uh, let's see. Uh, they don't quite say. Yeah, here we go. Once the deal is closed, they're going to pay $110 million in cash. Log me in is. But check this out, Mike. An additional $15 million in payments to equity holders and key employees of LastPass contingent on certain retention milestones in two years after the acquisition. Retention milestones, as in they knew, they knew that this was going to be a bad, bad story for them. $15 million based on retention. That's a really interesting little hook. So- we're paying the employees not to leave. I don't Basically. know. I don't know. That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, That's what I'm thinking, but uh, I'm I, I'm thinking it's key staff. But key isn't management. that common, right? Like, how many times in the 90s did Microsoft buy a company and, you know, the, the standard thing was the Microsoft manager would come in and here's your offer if you want to stay. If not... Well, let me ask you this. Sorry. What if it What if it isn't employees? What if it's user base? Gonna pay users to stay. No, 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 no. The the staff get bonuses if they make the service attractive enough. That's to keep. interesting. Mm-hmm, that's interesting. Maybe that's what it is because they're not very clear. Right. That sounds crazy, but <laughs> I know, right? But I think I don't know. I mean, I think a, a lot of people in our audience are bailing. Well, I take it back though. Comcast judges their customer service reps based on how many people they get not to quit services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big topic. I think this uh, this Friday's Linux Action Show is going to be about solid LastPass replacements and transitioning off of LastPass because it seems to be big in our audience. Why don't you do what I do? Just make everything password one two three. There four. you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. To me, it just strikes me as we. It's a good reminder that these services can just up and go away. Uh, all right. So before we get into uh, the probably one of the bigger pieces of hoopla this week. I wanted to talk about something that has fallen off the radar of some of the other JB shows, and you were really kind of early in, early in on this back in like uh, I don't know, you know, a hundred episodes ago, really, when you were taking a look at designing for for modern UI, and now here we are, about a hundred episodes later, and we've been kind of waiting for this shoe to drop, I guess. This is the Microsoft Display Dock. You can connect a Lumia 950 or 950 XL to a Display Dock, and then you get an external monitor, keyboard, mouse, office apps, and Outlook scale up to create a big screen optimized work environment. And it is... Yeah, but there's a huge... You heard about the huge bug, right? No, I don't know about it. No, this is, to me, I'm just oh looking into God, this. Oh, my God, huge bug. What, what? You have to have a Lumia. Oh, but I'm bummed. Sorry. Misa, make great joke. 
don't you think though that this is this is Ubuntu's convergence? This is uh, this is kind of a big deal. You could can't you picture the hipster CEO uh, technology guy that maybe instead of getting a MacBook Air or getting an iPhone, gets one really nice Lumia phone, and then he has so, one of these docks at home and one of these docks at work. Not even no. Yeah, no. I, I kind <laughs> of agree. Yeah, no. I don't. You know, I mean, I, isn't it? It's an inter- It was an interesting idea when Canonical did it, and nobody bought it. And it's going to be an interesting idea when Microsoft does it, and nobody buys it. You don't think so? Huh? No. Yeah, I actually think these devices are just not powerful enough for that type of person. The person I just said has you know five gigabytes of email in his inbox and twenty five gigabytes in his other folders, and you know these people are. Um, they're a different kind of power. They're storage user. hogs, right? They're yeah. storage hogs. Yeah, yeah, they store everything. So you never know. Well, it's something interesting to watch. All right, well then, so let's talk about the thing that probably is actually going to appeal to them, uh, and that is the Surface Book. Now, this was announced it's since our last Fisher's episode. It's the laptop, and I heard your coverage of it, by the way. Oh, you did, huh? What did you think? What is your impressions of the Surface Book? Did you see the live event where they, how they revealed the fact that it disconnects? I thought the, that the was... The fake out? Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. kind of good. That guy was an interesting presenter. It was, I think that was one of my... Microsoft- he, yeah. He's- yeah. So let's talk about the price, though. So if I was going to actually use this... You think I would want 512 gigabytes of storage and 16 gigs of RAM? That makes this thing seven twenty seven hundred dollars. My workhorse machine right now is uh, i5, eight gigabytes of RAM, and I'm looking right Ooh. now, two fifty six hard drive. See, now here's the thing, Mr. Dominic, is I have my my main laptop that I that I tote around all the time is the Dell XPS 13 with Linux on it, and it's got excellent choice. It's got this mobile core i7. Which is actually just a dual core with hyperthreading that gives me four cores, and I don't know why that's called an i7, but it is, and it's got an HD five thousand or fifty two hundred graphics chip in it, and I I just need more. It is not I can, I, it is it is it is um, sort of a bummer that one of my newest computers is not my fastest computer. Mm. It's not slow, but I can feel that it's not the fastest computer that I have. It's not a big deal, but it makes me, like, not want to sit down and, like, hook it up to a big display and do, like, a whole bunch of work at it. It makes me want to just keep it as my mobile portable computer. And I am a little so bit demanding, I'm, I suppose, but... Yeah, I think, I think you might be more than me. I'm, I'm doing fine, like, power-wise, but I keep... Run, like, I have 11 gigabytes for my hard drive. I keep running out of hard drives. Yeah, that is a big problem, too. Yeah, because SSDs are expensive. Yeah, and, you know... Especially the PCIe but, stuff, right. which this thing has. So can can I make a prediction? Yeah, I think we are going to see a renaissance in .NET development. You have been saying that, and this would make a killer dev machine. I, I think this is their MacBook Pro. This is their. Everybody at the conference has one. Mm. Have you it seen the gap real- this thing has when it's closed? Have you seen that? It's got a real gap on this thing. It's. I know. I find it very attractive. Uh, it's not actually. bad, but. I don't know. It's got a big fan down the side too in the well, i7. Oh right, because it has to it has to balance the weight, right? Yeah. I mean that's why that's like that. Oh yeah, I know, I know. Uh, this is not a a Gen One buy, but here's where I here's the problem that I have with this. Here's where this thing falls apart for me, and I'm not just saying this to be a hater. I really think this is how the market feels. Is I don't think anybody that is making a conscious choice to buy a really expensive computer. Is going Windows unless they have to, or I guess I should say need to. Oh, that's not even close to true. Really? Who's picking this kind of computer? Windows enthusiasts. We just don't know them. They're called gamers. 
they're called gamers, and they would be buying a computer much more suitable for gaming. Even though this has a nice GPU, this isn't the computer you want for gaming. So when I mean, I think I don't. I just I I don't know who I guess I I have yet. Even though I really I live in Washington, I don't really know people who are extremely enthusiastic about Windows and want that hardware. Usually, these people already have hardware they like. They like ThinkPads from Lenovo, or they like the HPs, or like Dells. Like they already they've. If they like Windows at this point, then they like a they like an OEM that makes Windows hardware too, and I, I just I don't see a lot of market room for this. I don't know. I, I think it's I a think good product. Gonna... I just think it's too expensive. I, I... No, I think you're wrong. I think we're going to see strong sales. I really do. I don't know. I don't. It's it's a little pricey. Yeah, well, it's a lot before. pricey to get two fifty six gig with eight gigabytes of RAM, which honestly would not be enough for me. Is uh, twenty one hundred dollars. All right, but these, this isn't this isn't too far off from Macland in terms of pricing, right? Yeah, but here's the okay. And then I'm going to stop hating. But then here's the other thing that I just think it doesn't justify the price. So this thing has the 13.5 inch Pixel Sense touch display, which has a 3,000 by 2,000 resolution, right? Okay. There is a great amount of Windows 10 that isn't truly high DPI. You can scale up the UI, but it's a scaled up. Windows. Yeah, Windows has a terrible time at high DPI. Yeah, and so this is a machine that comes with a very high cost and with an operating system that can't even fully take advantage of the display. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing in some ways. Like, could you imagine if Apple shipped a MacBook Pro Retina and the majority of, like, once you dropped out of, like, the dashboard or whatever, or the, what do they call their launch center thing? Launch center? Uh, expose or no the little rocket thing that you know has all the icons launch launch yeah yeah Yeah. could you imagine if once you dropped out of that that the rest of the os was like just like zoomed up well i don't think i don't think they would ever ship that product launch pad you have lots of problems right i mean my point is though it's like a ui that lays on top of the underlying ui kind of like how metro you how the metro apps can lay on top they don't in windows 10 now you just have it there in the start menu but sure the start menu is going to be high dpi and the modern apps are going to be high dpi but the control panel and all the system settings and the registry editor and the mmc snap-ins all of those are all low dpi and you're paying you know this is twenty one hundred dollars and let's say sixty percent of your os and i think i'm being generous there and, and, and I'm not even talking about all the apps you're going to run, Office and all of the standard Windows apps that are not very likely to be high DPI, which has got to be the majority of third-party apps. I don't really know. I'm just when – when I tested Windows 10 on a high DPI display, I was shocked at how little supported high DPI. I just – and so I, I, know, I look at that I, and I, I think, think – this is going to be a strong seller for them with, with the Windows enthusiast crowd, and I think they do exist. Yeah, I think they'll sell a I fair really amount. I bet they – I would be surprised, though, if they, if they bust 300000 All right. You want to make a prediction? Yeah, I do. All right. Let's see. By uh, – I don't know. See, it starts shipping October 26th. Let's say by end of year. What do you think? Okay. End of year, 3K, 300K? Yeah. I don't think they'll ship more than that. Well, the only – now, the only thing that could throw that off is if they buy – if they buy like Surface Books for like the entire company or something like that, and then they, you know, then they just because they did that with the Lumia phones. Remember when they just like they added sixty thousand to their sales because they bought them for the staff. Yeah. So that's that's that a little cool. cheating. So that's I, cool. with that caveat, I love that move. <laughs> yeah, that is good. Uh, all right. So I'm 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 here configuring a 13 inch MacBook Pro. MacBook Pro. 2.9 gigahertz Pro. Yeah. Now is this I Retina? Find, uh, is it? Yeah, Retina. Okay. All right. Sure. Okay. All right. 
16 gigs of RAM, one terabyte. PCIe PCI storage. storage. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm assuming means SSD. Yeah. Is two and a half, so 2,500. And this is uh, how much storage? Terabyte? Terabyte. And uh, how much RAM? 16? 16. So you can't even buy a config that high, spec that high on the uh, Surface Book. The uh, highest you can... Drop it down to Although 512. 500 bucks for a terabyte. Jeez. Yeah, the, yeah, that's if you, to, if, if you go to 512, you're at 1999, so you're at 2000. Yeah. So you're 100 bucks less than the Surface Book with an operating system that supports high DPI. And I think is probably still more. Here's, here's, here's my caveat. I think a lot okay. of people like Windows. A lot of people buy machines with Windows. And I think the majority of people that buy computers don't even know there's computers that you can buy that don't have Windows on them. They, don't even, they just think Windows is the computer. Okay? That's the majority of the market. People that are outside of that bubble, people that are being particular about the brand or the performance they buy, I think those are also people that go, I don't really need Windows unless they're gamers or they're writing Windows apps. I think this will sell to, I think this will sell to well-off developers but there's a lot of developers that are struggling to make enough money to buy something that high end. And the other issue well, and, is... And, yeah, and then there's a lot of developers who are just running Macs because you have a workflow now and, right. you know, why change? Well, and if you buy a Mac, you can develop apps for the web, iOS, yep. and Android. Yep. And if you buy Windows, you know, you can't really do iOS. And if you go Linux, well, then you, can, you can't really do iOS either. And there's, for a lot of people, that's fine. I, you know... <laughs> To be honest, if I had if I had spare cash, which I don't, I would, and I knew this thing could run Linux, I would be interested in buying it. I think it's a good piece of hardware, and I don't, I just, uh, I don't, um, I don't need like, I just don't need Windows. I don't need that much crap going on. I don't need Windows. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I have. I'm actually talking about a machine loaded running KDE, and it's, it also feels like it's a little too much. Yeah, I mean, the problem is with these touchscreens, it, it inflates the cost of the machine. There's that. And I just don't care about touch. Yeah. Like, I'm using my laptop right now in clamshell mode hooked up to a Dell monitor. I, I, use, I use the touchscreen a couple times a week. Sometimes I use it more, sometimes I use it less. But it's probably the least used feature on my thing, on my, on my laptop. Yeah, like, uh... Well, so email us. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. And what are your thoughts on the Service Book as a development tool um, and also as just a standard machine to run as your daily driver? Is the Service Book too much or is it sometimes worth paying a premium price? There is maybe some advantage to having Microsoft be the OEM. And it's also yeah. likely they're going to stick with this for, a, for at least a few iterations. And I bet by the second or third iteration, it might, you know, like the Surface 3 and 4, right, are really considered to be pretty decent now. The Xbox got pretty decent after they got through the 360 manufacturing issues. Usually, you know, they spend the money to stick with it. Second, yeah, yeah, their second-gen products are always really good. The big question mark for me is Linux support, and I know that's ridiculous, but I'm just as as a, if the yeah, company if the company really truly wants to be seen as so Satya Nadella said this on stage, and this this struck this stuck with me. He says we don't want people to need to use Windows; we want people to want to use Windows. Well. Prove it. Make this laptop capable of running alternative operating systems. Really show the new Microsoft. Maybe I want maybe I want to create Linux apps and run them on Azure, and I'd like to buy a Microsoft Surface Book to do that. That seems like if that's where Microsoft's truly where they're at now, that's that should be totally cool. We'll see. 
Hey, I want to tell you about something else that's totally cool. That's our next sponsor, DigitalOcean. Boy, is this a great way to spin up your own server up in the cloud right away. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to get you going. And if you use our promo code CODERDIGITAL, that's one word lowercase, you can get a $10 credit and you support the show. You keep us on the air. That's how you can vote for Coder Radio to keep on going is by using our sponsors' promos. And this all not only helps you out by getting you a $10 credit. And trust me, once you play around with DigitalOcean, you're going to want to stick. But it also lets them know that you want us to stay on the air. The show's performing for them, and that makes them stick around. Coder Radio appreciates you using our sponsors, and we appreciate DigitalOcean sponsoring the show because we think it's a really good tie together. I've been able to use DigitalOcean now for quite a while, and I can tell you it's very, very easy to work into your workflow. If you're using it for production deployment, testing, any of that, it's very straightforward and easy to use. And here's the best part. Like, when you want to go start up a server, you can do that in less than 55 seconds. And for only $5 a month, you'll get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte. A terabyte of transfer. And they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, and a brand new one up in Toronto. And their interface is really great. Really, really great. The best. And you can replicate the functionality of the interface on a larger scale with their very straightforward API. And I love what I love about DigitalOcean is they treat this interface and this API as platform features. They're very serious about them, and they iterate them very carefully and very smart. And they work with their community, and because of that, there's so much great code out there open, ready for you to use to take advantage of that API that really makes integrating DigitalOcean into your workflow even easier. We're going to talk a little bit about automation later on in the show, and there is a lot of great ways to automate DigitalOcean using some of the most popular and common tools out there. Go use our promo code CODERDIGITAL, get a $10 credit, and try out their one-click application deployment. Get GitLab up and running in seconds. Go deploy CoreOS and try containerization out on, a, on the premier platform for containerization and Docker. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL and go create something cool. I've been running OwnCloud up there for months, BitTorrent Sync up there for, I think, a year or more, probably more. It is really just a great system, and I've never felt like it hasn't been fast enough. I have, I have a, I have a Quasal droplet that runs my IRC client all the time, 24-7, always available. It's been such a great service. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. So, uh, Mike, I don't know if you have anything else you want to cover, but we got an email in from John that uh, I wanted to talk about a little bit because I think it represents an interesting portion of our audience. All right. Okay, I'm going to take that as a cue to go. Okay. So John writes in, and uh, he says, uh, hey, Chris. He says, I don't know if if you uh, check this, but I listened to your latest Coda Radio, and you were talking about problems with installing and updating your systems, namely doing it manually. I thought I could remember we were talking about how uh, the one listener wrote in spent like he said he was spending like 20 percent of his time just managing all of his updates in his systems before he could actually sit down to develop. <laughs> he says, uh, I thought I could help you out by showing you how to automate it with Chef and Knife Solo. I can send you a video. We can talk it over on video call. It will be it'll contain basic Ruby code and let's say it's your new machine and run a set of terminal commands to update what you want. He says, I've actually written a book on Chef automating Rails deployment at leanpub.com slash deploy Rails blue book. And he says, send me an email if you want to try it out. So, John, I loved your question here about automation because we did kind of get into uh, the woes we have of managing our systems and the problems around that. I wanted to take a second and talk about Chef because I think this is a tool that probably a lot of people in the Coda Radio audience know about. 
But if you are somebody that falls in the DevOps category or you're trending towards that and you are finding yourself with more and more systems to manage like our emailer last week, there are some solutions. I'm going to just play like like a, like a few seconds or whatever of their intro video so that way they can say it instead of me and then we'll talk about this. Hi, I'm Nathan Harvey, technical community manager, and I'd like to introduce you to Chef. Chef is an automation platform that configures and manages your infrastructure, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud. You can use Chef to speed up application deployment and even create a continuous delivery pipeline. The key to Chef's power is that it turns infrastructure into code. Infrastructure as code means that your computing environment has some of the same attributes as your application. It's versionable, it's testable, and it's repeatable. Chef's unique approach gives you tremendous flexibility. You don't need to struggle to conform to Chef. Chef adapts to you and your environment. So in other words, uh, if you're deploying applications and software, you can, you can make sure that you can deploy an entire environment configured the way you want. Uh, and there's a couple of different systems out there that do different things. Uh, Alan has talked quite a bit about Puppet on TechSnap, and he's able to spin up a FreeBSD server essentially completely blank. It joins up in this Puppet system and then gets totally configured down to the host file all the way up to the application stack. And this is a really easy way for one person to manage software across a whole wide range of machines. And I was looking back at some of the tools that I use. When I, when I, was, when I was really stuck down in Windows administration for a long time, I, I messed around with each iteration of the Windows update service. And, you know, the, the big thing that I would run into with any of these automated systems is the developers really wanted to be in charge of the software stack on their machine because they had to be able to have predictability and build against certain versions and things like this. And so as soon as you hit this, as soon as you hit that group of people or another group that happened a lot too was our graphics departments, it completely fell apart. And then you would have these pockets of unmanaged systems out there. There weren't tools like Chef and Puppet that were approachable by people that weren't like lifelong sysadmins. Because back then, these systems required intricate configuration of group policy, intricate configuration of WSUS, how you structured your active directory and the organizational units within it, like very in-depth system administration stuff that was way beyond the purvey of a developer who was focused on creating the web application that automatically logs in with a third-party system, right? It just wasn't on his radar at all. And so the tools that have developed now since that time honestly would put some of us out of work. I mean, the chef stuff is really, really slick. And I was talking about in the DO spot, there are plugins for DigitalOcean that you just connect it into your chef installation or your puppet installation, and you can just go deploy a system on DigitalOcean like if it's in your own data center. And uh, I don't know, right. Mike, if you've had any time to play with any of these systems because it's like you have to be at a certain large scale but, or, or because if you do a too small scale, like two, three, four, five systems – then you always have like this big system to manage just to manage those systems, and that can be just as much work. So it's like a fine line you have to walk. That's really my... That's yeah, my it's never take. been really worth it for me to bother yeah. with that. I don't much. really think it's worth it here in the studio either for... Well, I mean, we have, you know, a, you know a dozen plus systems or whatever it is, maybe more. Right, right. But uh, it's, not, it's still that even there isn't quite worth it. But if you are managing a whole bunch of VMs, you know, 10, 15 VMs even, or if you need to be able to reproduce something over and over again, reproducible things, it's really good for that. Uh, So it's definitely worth checking out out there if you you haven't. And uh, if you dig around in the TechSnap archive, you can find Alan talking about his Puppet installation, which he uses to manage Scale Engine at a global scale. So that's pretty cool. 
Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to cover in this week's uh, shenanigans? No, that's it for the shenanigans. So uh, I'm, I'll be able to say from uh, from uh, the East Coast, New Jersey, next week, probably. That sounds like that's probably a thing. Probably. Huh? Okay. Right. Unless I play a trick on you. Ooh. Always keeping me guessing. I'm going to plug the subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. Go there and submit content for the show, feedback, all that kind of stuff. Cool projects you're working on, all that's welcome, coderadio.reddit.com. Also, email the show. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Send it in some feedback. Or... Join us live in the chat room, jblive.tv. We do this show Monday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, I think that is. You'd think I'd know by now. Over at jblive.tv and jblive.fm. Go find Mr. Dominic at Buccaneer Tech on Twitter and follow me at Chris LAS. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. And we'll see you right back here next week. Next week.